Welcome to Defenders, the teaching class of Dr. William Lane Craig. Today, an excursus on natural theology, part 31. For more resources from Dr. Craig, go to reasonablefaith.org. Last time we began to look at the logical version of the problem of evil. And you'll recall this version of the problem claims that the coexistence of God and the suffering in the world uh, is logically impossible. Given the suffering and evil in the world, it is logically impossible that God exists. Now, the statements that an all-powerful, all-loving God exists and that evil and suffering exist are not explicitly contradictory to each other. So the atheist must be assuming some hidden premises if he thinks this is an implicit contradiction, premises which would bring out the contradiction and make it explicit. And we identified two such premises. The first one was that if God is all-powerful, as Christians claim, then he can create any world that he wants, including a world with no evil, no suffering. Secondly, that if God is all-good, then he would prefer a world without suffering over a world with suffering. And since God is all-powerful and all-good, it would follow, therefore, that suffering does not exist. And uh, since suffering does exist, uh, one can conclude that, therefore, God does not exist. Now, we began to look at those hidden assumptions and ask ourselves, are they necessarily true? And we saw, first of all, that that assumption that if God is all-powerful, he can create any world that he wants, is not necessarily true. Because if it's even possible that human beings have freedom of the will, then there may be worlds that in and of themselves are logically possible, but they're not feasible for God to create, because people would not freely do what God wants them to do. It's logically impossible to make someone freely do something. So if there is a uh, freedom of the will, or if that possibility exists, it follows that it's not necessarily true that God can just create any old world that he wants to create. And on that basis alone, the atheist's argument collapses and is fallacious. Now, before we look at the next assumption that if God is all good, he prefers a world without suffering, is there any final question or discussion of that first assumption, that if God is all-powerful, then he can create any world that he wants? All right, let's go on then to the second assumption, that if God is all-loving or all-good, then he would prefer a world without suffering. Is that necessarily true? Well, I don't think so. It doesn't seem like it, because God could have other overriding reasons for allowing the suffering in the world. We all know of cases in which we permit or even inflict suffering because of some greater good that might be achieved. I'm reminded of a comment made by C.S. Lewis um, to the effect that what do people mean when they say, I'm not afraid of God because I know that he is good? Have they never even been to the dentist? And remember, that was written when dentists uh, worked without Novocaine. And those of us who remember those days uh, know that even though the dentist is good, uh, nevertheless, that can inflict considerable suffering. 
So it's simply not true that a world without suffering is automatically better than a world with suffering. Now, the atheist might say, well, but uh, an all-powerful God isn't limited in the way that, say, your dentist is. The all-powerful God could bring about this greater good directly without the um, suffering. But again, clearly, given the freedom of the will, that may not be possible. Some goods, for example, moral virtues, um, can only be achieved given freedom of the will. It's only through the free cooperation of people that moral growth and moral virtue is possible. So it could well be the case that a world with suffering um, is, on balance, a better overall world than a world that would involve no suffering. And this is, I think, at least possible, and that's all that needs to be the case in order to defeat the atheist's uh, claim that this assumption is necessarily true. Any comment or question about that assumption? Yes, Joe? Bill, you've been really clear about just the mere possibility of a rejoinder. This is enough to defeat the argument. What if somebody says, well, I've got a mere possibility against your teleological argument. The mere possibility of there being a multiverse is enough to defeat the, uh, or not defeat, but at least the mere possibility of that is enough for me to ignore all the design implications I see around me when somebody attempts to, to yeah, move that. Yeah, that wouldn't that. be relevant to the teleological argument because one isn't making claims of necessity, that of logical necessity, this is the case. It would be relevant to the ontological argument. Right. There, if he could show that it's possible that God does not exist, then you're quite right. It would have these ramifications. But it's so important to keep in mind here that the atheist is making a very, very strong claim in the logical version that it is logically impossible for God and the suffering in the world to coexist. And that's why, as I say, Joe, if it's even possible that people have free will, it would show that, that the key assumptions are not necessarily true. Cindy. I follow your argument um, entirely, except for one thing I need clarity on. All right. I understand that if God created a world with human beings that have free will, that of their own accord can choose him or ch not choose him, there would have to be evil, correct? Not that there would have, have to, to be, be evil. But the possibility of right, evil Right, the exists. possibility of evil and it, it might be the case that in any world of free creatures that has as much good as this world does, there would also be this much suffering and evil. We, we just don't know. The atheist is just conjecturing here. And then you factor in Satan and the impact of sin and that we are fallen. It only magnifies, I think, the, the, the possibility of sin and evil being present. That's right. I, I don't mention Satan because it doesn't really add anything. The, the idea here is there is creaturely freedom. Right. And this could be human creatures or Klingons or it could be right. demons or the impact and Satan. Of the draw of Satan. What, what I'm not quite following is the, um, the material suffering. Let me, that's not the proper word. Uh, Suffering through natural causes, it's right. not through evil acts, um, whether it be, as you mentioned last week, with the child who was buried in right. the rubble, uh, there was no cause of a human will that right. 
created that situation. I think to me that is where where we will have the most difficulty in trying to explain or rationalize. Maybe not explain rationalize. No, no. Well, I mean, I think you're right, see, Cindy, and that's just the point: is that one isn't trying here to offer an explanation. You're not trying to give an explanation of why there is evil and suffering in the world. Okay. What you're merely doing is undercutting the atheists' claims that an omnipotent God could create a world without evil and suffering, and that an all-loving God would create a world, or prefer a world, without evil and suffering. And you're simply saying, look, those two assumptions you're making aren't necessarily true. But you're not offering any explanation here of natural evil or uh, other sorts of evils in the world. But we in your class are very curious people, so. <laughs> well, I think well, and, this will and, become uh, more relevant when we get to the evidential or the probabilistic right. version of the problem of evil. And there we will need to address these issues, I think, more directly. Uh, just, is there anything you think in the fact that <clears throat> the world is suffering through domination, excuse me, by Satan, and that it's crying out in pain as yeah. well as the human race, and therefore even the world is captured, yes. if you will, by... Yeah, I mentioned by, that last week, that Alvin Plantinga um, says, well, it's logically possible that the natural evil in the world is the result of Satan and his minions, that we live in this fallen universe where they cause all sorts of disasters and things. Now, that might seem enormously improbable, um, but as long as it's logically possible, it shows that the atheist has failed to prove these crucial assumptions that would show God's existence with evil's existence to be impossible. What if someone claims that an all-good God should have refrained from creating rather than creating creatures who have free will who he knew would suffer? Yeah, I think that that's not essentially different, Kevin. Because a world in which there is no physical universe, that only God exists, is still a possible world. That is a possible world. And so the claim here on the atheist part is that if God is all loving, he would prefer a world without suffering over a world with suffering. And a world in which God alone exists would be such a possible world, a world without suffering. And I think the response remains the same. We can have morally sufficient reasons for allowing suffering to occur, uh, and therefore a world with fallen creatures um, who come to know God through Christ's salvation may be a better world than a world without suffering, that is a world in which God creates nothing and just exists by himself. So it's really the same point again is the atheist has to show that it's logically impossible that there could be goods in mind that God has which prompts him to create a world of creatures that lapse into suffering and evil. Yes, Steve? I think we give up too much ground because uh, I'm not sure that they can prove that this world is not perfect as it is now because we don't have total knowledge and we don't know that God is not perfectly fair and makes up for the child and the suffering rubble in a different area. 
Yeah, and so I, and so the world could be perfect and have always been perfect because of the greater plan that we cannot see now. Now, the logical version of the problem of evil is trying to expose an inconsistency within the Christian worldview. It's trying to say you Christians are committed to the truth of God's being all-powerful and all-loving and to the reality of evil. You yourselves recognize that this is not a perfect world, that this is a world which is fallen, in which there is evil, and, and so the atheist will claim that the Christian worldview is internally contradictory. And I, I don't think that it would be a theologically acceptable response, Steve, to say, well, this world is perfect, that that would be to say sin is illusory, and that's really a Hindu no, view not, of the world not, that not, says that this, the distinction between good and evil is part of Maya or the world no. of illusion. I think as Christians we are committed to the truth of that, that premise that evil and suffering really do no. exist. Evil exists. It's not that. Suffering exists and unfairness. But what I'm saying is God may have orchestrated things that we cannot see yet that yeah, well, for well, each individual, point. It, it, it balances out. So I'm saying like... Um, yeah, I think that's the same point I was making, that like the dentist, there can be goods, overriding goods that God has in mind that would outbalance the suffering. I think that's right. But I wouldn't, I would stay away from the word perfect. Well, I have reasons to lead that way. But the reason I'm trying to say is that it's because of lack of complete knowledge that it only appears. Yeah. Okay. That they well, we'll yeah, we'll talk some more about that when we get to the evidential version. Taiwan. Thank you, um, Dr. Craig. Um, I'm going to use a simple parable to illustrate what we view as evil. Uh, that is, if we, uh, you know, a baby slip uh, sleeps in a crib. And as he grows, if we continue to let him stay in the crib, it's going to be more and more um, difficult and incur suffering, okay? So that kind of suffering, it's almost like God building this growth mechanism, and if we don't grow with it, um, the sin of omission, and we will fall into suffering um, and and. In that sense, um, suffering is necessary to promote um, this growth. Uh -huh. I think that is the point I was trying to make with respect to moral virtues. If God just left us as infantile persons protected from every suffering, from every discipline, we would never be able to grow into mature moral agents who can make wise decisions and do acts of goodness and sacrifice and become the kind of moral persons we're supposed to be. We would be like, as you say, these, these infantile, spoiled children still in the crib. And in one sense, I think you're right, Taiwan, that's worse. That's more suffering than the person who through hard knocks and discipline and the vicissitudes of life learns to be a mature, giving, courageous, patient person that has these moral virtues that he develops. So I think that's a good point. Yes, Eric? Um, going back maybe a bit to the first hidden premise, it seemed to me that an atheist could say that 
we as Christians, we absolutely do believe in a God that can create a world without pain or suffering because we believe he's going to do exactly that in eternity. Well, so. now remember, Eric, this is so crucial by a world here. We don't mean a universe. We mean a possible world. And a possible world is a maximal description of reality, remember, that includes past, present, and future. And so the actual world in which we live is one in which there is real evil and real suffering. Even if it, the, the initial segment of it began very well, it hasn't continued like that. And even if the final segment of it will be restored, as we believe, nevertheless, in between, there is this segment of genuine, horrible evil and suffering. And we mustn't try to minimize that. So when we talk about a world here, a possible world, we mean everything, past, present, and future. Yes? It seems almost as if the, the atheist is... Uh logical argument on this is is almost too simplistic like they're not taking into account all the natural laws of laws of physics even even the the mortality of man you know free radicals the breakdown of the body and and, and all that mm -hmm. different type of stuff that that can happen to a person that that could cause them to suffer that that might not have anything to do with any other person doing it you know gravity if you if you decide to jump off of a building you're probably going to get hurt you know uh, the tidal waves yeah, and this and that. i think in, in, if i can speak for the atheist he would say here but that's assuming um that the law of gravity is logically necessary maybe god could have op created a world operating according to different laws of nature in which these unfortunate incidents would not occur. Um, but then I think your response to that ought to be quite properly, how do you know? That's just conjecture. Um, the atheist really has no way of proving that in a world operating according to different laws of nature, there would be less evil and suffering than in this world. I think when you combine the two, the different laws that that people have to obey because they're you know you can hardly get around them, whatever it is, even even a moral conscience, even yeah. natural laws, and then you also have the freedom of the will, which you've brought up. You only have freedom of the will to a certain extent. I mean, I can't just fly out of this room, yeah. you know. So so if you have the freedom of the will along with boundaries, you hit the boundaries. There's suffering. Yeah. Whatever. I mean, it is. think think of this scenario. God could have created a world of pure spirits in which there's no physical bodies, no physical universe at all, so that you'd never be injured, you'd never feel pain. There would just be pure spirits. Would that be a world then without evil or suffering? Well, not at all. That kind of world might be horrible. It might be terrible. That could be like an angelic world that falls into sin and produces demonic being. So it's not at all clear that in a world, say, of pure spirits, that this would be a world that would be without evil and suffering, um, so long as there's freedom of the will. Next door. That was a segue to what I was thinking, ah. uh, because uh, uh, anytime you have freedom, you're going to have evil. God created any freedom. Well, now, now be careful, Bruce. You didn't say this, but you don't want to say that evil... Entail, or, or that freedom entails evil. I mean, there could be logically possible worlds where people always freely do the right thing. I think freedom of the will entails the possibility of evil, 
but it doesn't entail evil itself. No, it doesn't. But it, it, it's going to if if he's, God is creating uh, people with free will. Yeah. Ultimately, evil is going to be expressed because Satan was Satan was created without sin, but yet sin began in heaven. Yeah, and but it, it, you don't want to say that Satan's fall was logically necessary. Not necessary, but there, but that some evil will come is inevitable. Well, I don't, I don't think that's true, at least not in a logical sense. Now, I think what one can say is that possible worlds in which no evil occurs, and there are free beings, free creatures, yes, those are logically possible, but they may not be feasible for God to create. Because if there were free creatures, they would go wrong and, and do things that God didn't want them to do. Remember our discussion of middle knowledge. That's what this relates to. By his middle knowledge, God knows all of the worlds that are feasible for him to create. So we don't need to deny that there are logically possible worlds in which people always freely do the right thing. Otherwise, sin would be necessary. Um, But what one can say is that these worlds may not be feasible for God. and that was the point that I was trying to make yeah. where I said, just because God is all-powerful doesn't mean that he can actualize any old possible world that he wants. There, there are worlds which uh, may be infeasible for God in view of human freedom. Now, the, the, the corollary then would be, you know, in, in our world, is if God wants to destroy evil, then he should destroy me, you know, and nobody wants that for themselves unless <laughs> yeah. you're, you're going to take the Kool-Aid like Jim Jones, you know, yeah. that's the, the logical extension of that is, you know, we, yeah. we just yes, all we off each other. Yes, we be grateful, each of us, that God is willing to allow evil or we wouldn't be allowed to exist. Okay, any other comment on this version? Well, the point here is that in making these two assumptions, that if God is all-powerful, he can create any world that he wants, and that if God is all-good, he would prefer a world without suffering over a world with suffering, the atheist is assuming a burden of proof that is simply unsustainable. He would have to show that freedom of the will is impossible, um, and that it's impossible that a world with suffering is better than a world um, with no suffering. And no atheist has been able to carry that heavy burden of proof. Having said that, we can actually push the argument a notch further. I think that we can make it plausible that God and the suffering and evil in the world are logically consistent with each other. All we have to do is to come up with a third statement that is consistent with God's existence and entails that suffering exists. And here is such a statement. God could not have created a world with as much good as the actual world, but with less suffering. And moreover, God has good reasons for permitting the suffering in the world. So God could not have created a oops, not have created a world, forgot the God could not have created a world with as much good as the actual world, but with less suffering. And moreover, God has good reasons for permitting the suffering in the world. Now, is that statement five true? I don't know. God knows. But as long as it's even possible, it shows 
that there's no inconsistency between God and the evil and suffering in the world. Because if God exists, and God could not have created a world with as much good as the actual world, but less suffering, and he has good reasons for permitting the suffering that does exist, then it follows that suffering does exist. Um, And thus there is no inconsistency. So not merely has the atheist failed to prove an inconsistency between God and the suffering in the world, but I think we can make it very plausible that God and the suffering in the world are logically consistent, namely the possibility of five shows that they're logically consistent. Any comment or question about that positive move? Yes, Ben. So when we're talking to someone, we can just kind of leave it as it is when we say, well, he just has good reasons. We don't necessarily know what they are. However, we can take it a step further and say, uh, suggest those reasons. If they're like, okay, what reasons could he possibly have? Even though his mind is higher than ours, isn't a primary reason that we could give as saying that, well, God didn't put us on the earth as his pets that are just here for our pleasure. Happiness is not God's objective for us. Lack of suffering, it's actually knowledge of God and salvation. You're anticipating the evidential problem of evil that we're going to talk about next, where those kind of points will become relevant. But with regard to this logical version, I would reiterate what I said earlier to Cindy. We're not trying to offer any explanation of why God permits the suffering and evil in the world. That's not our burden of proof. This is the atheist's argument. He's the one making this very strong claim that it's logically impossible that God and the suffering in the world exist. And it's simply enough to to say, well, isn't five possible? As long as it is, it shows there's no inconsistency. And you haven't provided any explanation at all of why there's evil and suffering in the world. Right. For this, it's not even necessary, but the other can be an extension of it. I think. Yeah, yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Sure. And, and obviously, I think as Cindy said, we are curious and we'd like to know, well, why might, what might those reasons be? God has good reasons for permitting the suffering in the world. What might they be? Um, that's a legitimate inquiry. And we'll talk about that in a minute. Yes. Uh, do we need good and free will in that statement? Because, I mean, I can see God creating a world where we have free will and no suffering if we're all isolated. But as soon as we have to have community and interaction, then he's got to establish a law which will bring suffering. Well, the idea behind five, Steve, is that we could imagine worlds um, that say have less suffering than the actual world, Right. He could have created a world where there's a lot less suffering. But then the good of the world might also be diminished at the same time. Uh, Or we can imagine worlds in which God would create much better goods. There's more goods, but the attendant suffering would also be much greater. So what we want to say is it's possible that God uh, couldn't have created a world that attains this much goodness in it but doesn't also have this much evil and suffering in it. Um, I see what you're saying. I'm trying to say that the measure of good, how do you measure good, but also hmm. with, without free will, I mean, if you, if you just had everybody doing God's will, we're robots, and there is no suffering. But if you have free will, everybody goes the other way, but God's so sovereign and so powerful, he could keep us from interacting with each other. Yeah. But we would never have community and fellowship. Right. And so to, uh, he, when he has to give the law, you must obey certain common ground, his will. Yeah. And so he puts yeah, a moral. I, I think and so, it would be plausible to say that a world in which, say, there's only one person on each planet 
would be a world that doesn't achieve the kind of goods that this world does right. because right. of the things you mentioned. And so good would be a measure in that case of something more like social interaction with That each would other. be part of the goods that this world has achieved, hasn't it? I mean, love between persons and things well, of that sort. There's lots of things. Or at a more basic level, multicellular life. Yeah, yeah. Okay, any other comment on this positive move? We tried to show that the atheist has failed to bear his burden of proof to show that they are inconsistent. And now we push the argument a step further and say, we can prove that they are consistent as long as five is possible. My, my understanding or conception of what heaven will be like is a world in which all the inhabitants of heaven will have free will and yet will not fall to sin. And also, somehow, the uh, laws of physics will be such that uh, we won't be suffering by natural evil right. either. So then the question is, if God can bring that about then and will bring that about then, then why could he not bring it about now and, and from the beginning? Yeah, and it, what you need to remember is that heaven is not itself a possible world. It's just a, sm a segment of a possible world. There's also all of the people in hell um, at the same time. And there's also that precursor to heaven that is this veil of tears through which we go. So that heaven is the outcome or the result of all that has gone before. And it may well be the case that God could not create a world like heaven just de novo because people wouldn't have had the opportunity to choose for and against Christ and, and so forth. So, um, I don't, I don't think that that's uh, a counterexample to what we're seeing here, seeing here. Thanks. Yes, Joe? We're not there yet, yet and I know we're getting there, but are, when you debate, you, you notice people jump right past logical. Is that largely because it's been abandoned philosophically, one? Uh, I, I'm thinking like J.L. Mackey and his disciples, the late J.L. Mackey, but it seems as if they jump right to it. Neil deGrasse Tyson, all the way to the late Chris Hitchens, go right for natural evil, non-volitional, non-free will evil, and simply bypass this to the evidential. Do you find that to be the case? I, yes, I do find the slide from the logical version into the evidential or probabilistic version. But I don't think it, Joe, is, is because the logical version has been answered and they're aware of it. I think it's through the failure to draw clear distinctions between these versions. Um, and so very often people will make this very strong claim of the logical version that it's impossible for God and the suffering in the world to exist. But then they argue evidentially, and it's just, I think, a failure to draw the clear distinctions. And it will really help us to deal with the respective problems if we can keep these distinctions clear. So. Let me wrap up this ver version of the problem of evil, the logical version, by saying that after centuries of discussion, the books are pretty much closed now on the logical version of the problem of evil. Uh, scarcely any atheist today will defend this argument. It is widely admitted by both theist and non-theistic philosophers alike that the logical version of the problem of evil is bankrupt. And the reason is because the burden of proof that it lays on the atheist's shoulders is so heavy that it cannot be sustained. He, he would have to prove that it is logically impossible 
um, that God and the suffering and evil in the world coexist, and no one has been able to do that. Any final comments on the logical version then? I, I appreciate what, uh, what Joe brought up. So I guess what we can conclude here is what you were saying, what uh, you didn't bring up what he said, but Chris Hitchens, what he's famous for saying that God can't be all good because of dot, 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 can't be all powerful because of dot, dot, dot. You're saying that that is a, it's a logical claim because he's saying it's one way or the other. It's, there's no middle ground. So it's, but, but, but then it's tried to be argued on an evidential level. So they kind of switch the whole yeah. play of the argument. So, so our job in that stance or in that circumstance is to, is to keep it logical and say, okay, prove logically that what you just said, that God can't be all good and allow evil and right. God can't be all powerful and allow evil. Yeah. And I think that if we do that, it might be a sort of startling realization to the unbeliever that, gee, I guess I can't really prove this. I, I really can't prove these are impossible or inconsistent as I thought. And that might help to open him up a little bit more. Um, so right, I think it's, it's really important in discussing with an unbeliever who's pushing this problem of evil is to ask him, are you saying that it's logically impossible that God and the suffering in the world coexist? Or are you merely saying that the suffering in the world makes it improbable that God exists? Which one of those do you believe? And if he says impossible, then hold his feet to the fire and say, okay, you, you make it a strong radical claim, uh, one that's rejected by most atheist and theist philosophers alike. Let's see you support that claim. Yes, Cody? Yeah, are there any other versions of the logical problem of evil? I mean, sometimes when I talk to atheists, I hear them reference things like, well, JL, the way J.L. Mackey defended it isn't, isn't the only version of the logical argument yeah. from evil, or, or, or are they all pretty much the same thing? Well, I think they basically come down to the same considerations. There is an argument from gratuitous evil in the world. That is to say, all right, God and suffering or God and evil are consistent. That's logically possible. But it's not logically possible that God would coexist with the unnecessary, pointless evil in the world. That given the unnecessary, pointless evil in the world, it's impossible that God exists. But you see then, the Christian isn't committed to the truth that there is pointless and unnecessary evil. As I said in response to Steve, the Christian is committed to God's being all-powerful and all-good and to the reality of evil. He's committed to those. And so if the atheist can show an inconsistency between those, there's an internal contradiction in our worldview. But we are not committed as Christians to the view that there is gratuitous evil in the world, that it, there's pointless, unnecessary evil. Uh, and, and therefore, the atheist would have to give some good argument for that, and that then launches you right into the evidential version of the problem. Any other final comment on the uh, logical version? Okay, Taiwan. I thought God and evil have to coexist because God's purpose is for, to, uh, to draw us to him. Yes. And just like uh, light and darkness, um, if a plant needs a light, he will be drawn to the light. And, and we are drawn to God only when we experience darkness. Um, so. Well, now be careful, Taiwan. Um, you wouldn't want to say that 
our existence is logically necessary, right? That you and I have to exist. You wouldn't want to say that, would you? That God had to create you and me. Well, but God did. Right. (laughs) He did. But he didn't have to. So if our existence, if the existence of human beings isn't logically necessary, then it's not logically necessary that human suffering and evil exist. Because there needn't have been any human beings. I mean, what you're talking about at most would be a kind of conditional necessity that if God created human beings, then there would need to be evil and suffering. But that's not an absolute necessity, because there's no necessity he had to create human beings to begin with. And I would even dispute that conditional necessity, as I said to Bruce. I I don't think that as Christians we want to say that the existence of free will entails that evil exists. That is in fact the case that because of free will there's evil, but there's nothing logically impossible about a world in which God gives creatures free will and they always do the right thing. They wouldn't be puppets or robots, they would just always freely make the right choice. And that's what led someone like a J.L. Mackey to think, well then an all-powerful God ought to have created that world. It's a logically possible world, he could have created that world. And what he didn't see was the distinction between a, a possible world and a feasible world. Such a world may be logically possible in and of itself, but it it may not be feasible for God because if he tried to create those people, they would in fact go wrong um, and and result in evil in the world. Well, when Jesus died, he offers salvation, and it's possible that we all, um, like the, the new heaven and new earth happen. It's possible, but it's not necessary. But he, he laid that that he laid that sea so that that possibility can be realized. And God create evil so that good eventually uh, will be um, agreed upon and, and realized. Well, I certainly do want to agree with you that God uses evil and suffering as a means of bringing people into his kingdom to know him. But the way you had stated it initially, I don't think we want to say that evil is in any way necessary. Um, this is a contingent result of creaturely freedom, of creatures misusing their free will to bring about evil. But it's not something that's logically necessary, I would say. Now. The bankruptcy of the logical version of the problem of evil doesn't mean that we're out of the woods. Because we've still got the evidential or probabilistic version of the problem of evil. And this is still very much a live issue that's debated today. And you remember the atheistic claim here is that given the suffering and the evil in the world, it's improbable that God exists. It's highly improbable that God could have good reasons for permitting the suffering in the world. So even though this is possible, nevertheless it's highly improbable. Uh, Much of the suffering in the world looks to be pointless and unnecessary. Uh, Surely God could have created a world with this much good, but with a little less 
suffering in it. So the suffering in the world provides evidence that God does not exist. Now, this is a much more powerful version of the problem of evil. Because the conclusion is more modest, the burden of proof it lays on the atheist is much lighter. Here the atheist doesn't need to prove that it's impossible that God and evil coexist, but just that it's improbable given the evil and suffering in the world that God exists. And because this conclusion sets the bar lower, uh, the burden of proof that the atheist bears is much lighter. And so we'll need to examine next time how we can respond to this evidential or probabilistic version of the problem of evil. Let's close now with a word of prayer. And as we uh, do, um, we want to um, pray for our class mom, Marion, uh, who has been in and out of the emergency room this week um, and is apparently being taken again to the emergency room today. She's got blood pressure that's really high and vertigo, and uh, I'm sure would appreciate our prayers, especially with Harvey going in for surgery tomorrow. So let's remember them as we close. Father, thank you for your providence over our lives, um, for your love and the way you will our ultimate good. We pray for our brother and sister, uh, Harvey and Marion at this time, that you would um, help the doctors to diagnose accurately the problems that she's suffering from and to find a viable solution to these, Lord, that you would deliver her from the vertigo and the um, other symptoms that she's feeling uh, and get her back on her feet again. So we commit both of them into your good care and keeping. In Jesus' name, amen. The copyright for the content of this recording is held by Dr. William Lane Craig. For more, go to reasonablefaith.org.